The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, uh, gentlemen, good morning to you all. Good to see you all in this new month of February. Yes, good seeing you guys. So yeah, I, I guess in, where are interest rates as we start the year and and things progress? Well, Scott, kind of flat, actually. You know, uh, Powell, who's uh, the big man for the finance side of things in the U.S., he is, he kind of just, actually, he was on 60 Minutes. Um, and it's not often you hear something on 60 Minutes first, and then the day later, they announce that there's no change in interest rates. And kind of the stock, stock markets kind of went down a bit, and then, uh, um, you know, bonds took a, you know, it, it, but this is normal. But the problem really is for Canadians is the U.S. doesn't really need to drop their rates. Their 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 economy is actually doing extremely well. Yeah, Where they're the humming market, along. It's humming along, and and you know, there's a lot of good reasons why. But the Canadian side, it's you know, technically really close to a recession. So you know, you gotta they they probably wouldn't mind rates to drop a little bit. Yeah, you're seeing some of the big banks that were originally calling for a recession. They're now not only acknowledging that there is going to be a soft landing, but probably a pretty smooth one, which is actually interesting to see in the news. And again, this is driven by the U.S., which is, you know, it's great to have big, big, rich neighbors sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So that's really what it's uh, that's really what's happening in from the Canadian sake. And so, yeah, you're 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 seeing uh, Flights are booked. Um, people are taking cruises. U.S. is still doing very well. The consumer spending money. And so Canadians are getting a bit of the overspill, if you will, on that side of things. And you know, our economy will, will probably end up doing OK. But yes, we would like to see rates drop because it is hurting things like the housing market and putting pressure on people's finances in terms of lines of credits. Are you surprised, Don, that there is such a difference between Canada and the U.S. right now? Because times are tough in Canada, yet the U.S. just seems to be smoking along. You know, uh, different politics, Scott, you know, different decisions making. Um, There's so many things that go into uh, almost like a capitalist first society where they're putting a lot of money in R&D and growth and companies are, are really driving it where we got to see almost a protectionism kind of mentality in the Canadian side of things. And which, you know, leads to a, you know, maybe a good lifestyle, but doesn't have the same growth. And mm-hmm. so this is where you're getting this. And this is a debate for another day, but can't solve those problems. But yeah. yes, you definitely see a large difference on in terms of the two economies. Now, that being said, sometimes there's a lot of large differences in your own household. <laughs> and that can lead to some issues at times. And I know, uh, you know, Mitch has got uh, talking about divorce today. <laughs> Thanks. That was a great little segue in there. Yeah. What a kill. Jo- <laughs> what a killjoy you are, Mitch. Gee. <laughs> yeah. I thought we'd start our Saturday off strong. There you um, go. Yeah. So financial planning, it does have its fun and exciting areas, but unfortunately it does have some unfortunate areas that no one really wants to plan for because no one wants to consider negative things to happen to them, uh, especially when it comes to divorce. Um, Death is certain, unfortunately. Everyone has to go at some point, so people do 
uh, estate planning because they know they have to. But divorce planning is a totally different beast. And people don't like to plan for it, but having some preparation for it can actually be extremely beneficial for both sides, not just one side. Um, so about 42% of first marriages end in divorce, 60% of second marriages end in divorce, and 73% of third marriages will end up getting separated. And in 1980, the average age of divorce was 36 years old. And just last year, the average age of divorce has now gotten up to 46 years old. Wow. So the gradual increase in the average age at divorce is mainly the result of the duration marriages ending in divorce, as the average age of gang marriage in 1980 was 23.8 years old. And now it's 30.7. So that's a huge difference in, in people when they're getting married back back in the day maybe back in your guys days um compared <laughs> to my days um bunch of boomers just the yes. sand <laughs> yeah yeah definitely the uh, marriage uh, age of the average of marriage is definitely you're noticing that's gone up a lot but uh anyhow you know it keep, makes sense that the average divorced age is also older because of that yeah for sure but with the average age being in that different age group it means people are uh they're also lasting about two to three longer so the marriages are lasting a little longer than they used to. And so they're lasting longer and they're also closer to their prime earning years of their careers, which people will usually start with a low salary and increase as they get older and accumulate more assets as they can. Well, now people are getting married at 31 instead of 23 or 24, roughly. And they're getting divorced at 46 and they're more in their higher earning years than their 20s. That's for sure. And which is giving them plenty of time to accumulate significant marital assets. And Canada actually has the 29th highest divorce rate in the world. And only 8% of Canadians have a prenuptial agreement. Um, as you mentioned, uh, causes a difference. And possibly the largest case is actually money. It's certainly so, a leading reason. So which is the highest divorce rate? We're 29th. That seems actually pretty good. Canadians are pretty good at staying married based on, you know, it's, you don't want to be number one in divorce rate. That <laughs> <laughs> I actually wish I could have told you the number one, but I didn't look that high. I just I'm focusing on Canada for today. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, as I was saying, uh, money is a leading reason why people get divorced. Almost all statistics uh, they come back and say that there was a big difference in money, and even if there's no lack of money for expenses. Uh, there could be a huge gap in the earnings of the spouse, which become an imbalance, which can create an issue as well. And about 70% of Canadians believe that the conflict over money is the number one leading reason for couples ending up in divorce. So, I mean, I'm not trying to say financial planners will save your marriage, but I would be interested to see the stats of divorce rates for people with financial planners versus without financial planners, because we do go through all of our plans as couples with their ex with their goals as a couple and we put in strategies for their goals as a couple versus if they don't have a financial planner they may have different goals that they don't even talk about because they don't have that financial planner to kind of bridge that gap so it is kind of an interesting thought that we may have a lower divorce rate if you have a financial planner so i i, I kind of that's kind of an interesting thought mitch i would probably agree with that because you know you see a lot of times almost some money is often the elephant in the room and people live their lives and you know whatever they're doing and money is just coming and going and, and and at times nobody sits down and kind of sees a problem happening 
before it happens. And a, and a good financial planner will do that. And which again, if we can nip a problem in the butt early, then you're not going to have this massive problem down the road. And yeah, it's not the little problems that end up in divorce. It's the larger problems that quite often do this. Uh, and, and again, to your point, Mitch, it, it's money. It is one of the biggest reasons. Well, again, making the plan and getting you all together is one thing. Sticking to it through the duration of it, that's the challenge. Well, that's uh, just meaning that you have a good financial planner. So sticking to a plan is executing the plan. It's it, Many planners put them in place, but if you're not re meeting regularly, then the plan's not going to really be executed, which can also cause that big rift that you guys are referring to. Um, I mean, small ones do accumulate into big rifts. So if you're even just on a small basis, when we go through cash flow with clients and they start realizing how much they're spending on all these little things and maybe um, it's not going towards their goal of saving for kids' school, saving for their retirement or traveling, any of those little goals, then that can cause a larger rift because they're, um, they might have a difference in opinions of stuff there, which we're now creating that discussion and can be solved by having a good financial plan. But there are a few things that you need to do, uh, financial priorities for the newly divorced. So if you are getting a divorce, the first thing you wanna do is sell some key assets. So once you formally filed for divorce, you likely need to sell some assets, whether it's a house that both people own or stuff that you wanna get rid of before moving to a new house. Uh, determine to plan the sell, plan and sell a house you and which ones you wanna keep for yourselves. This should be done in, consultation with your family lawyer or and with your financial planner you should keep both of them in the know um because there could be lots of assets here there could be a matrimonial home a vacation property jewelry art vehicles there there's a lot when it comes to it and when that average age of divorce is so much higher you've definitely accumulated some of those assets versus when you're in your 20s or low 30s getting divorced now you're 46 you likely have a house and some large assets that need to be split and that brings me to my second point here. You'll want to sever all joint accounts. You're going to have to cancel all joint credit cards, lines of credit, and mortgages. Uh, you really don't want to be paying for your spouse's golf club memberships or a spa weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if there are joint expenses, you, a good thing to do here, just one strategy, is to maybe maintain one account that you each transfer money into for the purpose of such expenses. So for joint expenses, um, this gives you each the certain uh, amount of privacy with respect to how you're using your money post-separation allows for early adjustments to your new lives. So that way you're not going to be paying for your ex-husband or ex-wife's um, uh, discretionary expenses. And you're just uh, keeping those joint ones going as long as they have to. So the third thing you'll now need to do is saving in your own name. So um, you're going to have to start creating your own accounts. And you may not have the health insurance that was on your ex's plan, so you may have to get some health insurance. Um, there are many things that couples were uh, taking advantage of while they were together that they're not going to have access to anymore. And one that's also very important is to review your will and your beneficiaries. This is probably one of the first things you'll want to do is update your will. Make sure that your spouse isn't getting any of your assets, and then, and then you're going to have to take their name off of it. So the same goes with life insurance and investment beneficiaries. It's generally not recommended. It's generally uh, that young children be designated as direct beneficiaries on in investments or your insurance. But you should change the designation to estate and update your will to indicate who should receive your estate and make sure that it's not going to your spouse. So this is certainly you should be reviewing with your lawyer as well as your financial planner. 
and making sure that you're not giving anything uh, to your ex-spouse that you really don't want to. And the last thing here is to create an emergency fund. Uh, one, you may have had uh, your spouse to rely on if you got sick. Now you don't have that luxury. So maybe possibly getting disability insurance may be a way to go. So if you do get sick or disabled, you're still able to pay for expenses going forward. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. We're going to talk about, well, move from divorce (laughs) to retirement. So we've got the divorce behind us. Okay, good. Well, with that divorce, you may have had to work a little longer towards retirement, which actually is quite often the case uh, where you'll find because of the assets, it's so much easier to build assets um, jointly and create a joint retirement plan versus individually. So, yes, uh, we we have done a lot of planning amongst uh, divorced couples. um, And and quite often we streamline things. And I have had a number of uh, couples and it takes some you know, courage to sit down, but boy, you spend a lot less money sitting down with us going over, here's what's worthwhile to look at splitting versus a lawyer. And you can save a lot of money sitting down with your financial planner. We are not divorce specialists, although you know we've worked with any. There's a divorce specialist degree, um, and I'm sure you can actually find if somebody specializes in divorce planning. But again, some of it's very much common sense. And it's trying to kind of dissect the emotion out of your overall financial plan. And that's the hardest thing because there's so much emotion built up around assets. And I've seen people, unfortunately, argue about the little things, which really don't matter. But for example, air miles or credit card points or what have you. And they're more worried about that than some of the bigger pictures. So again, all this is, again, sitting down with your financial planner and have a level head and, and try to get this done right. The same goes with retirement planning. Now, I've had people talk to me in the last month saying, I want to retire in the next two years, and they're 48 years old. And I'm going, well, you probably should just maybe change your job. You're way too young about talking about that. Um, on the other hand, we're talking about people are working a lot longer. And extremely, what we should start thinking about is why don't we start thinking as 70, the new retirement age? And that might be tough to think about. Well, you- do you know when Freedom 55 started? I don't know, actually, Mitch. Uh, it was 1984. And in 1984, the life expectancy was about 76 years old. And today, the life expectancy is about 83 years old. Right. Okay. So if you add a, you know, that extra years, you're going from 55 to, say, 63, which we're not far from. You know what? To be honest, back in 
84, people weren't retiring at 55 anyway. It was a it was a pipe dream. It was more of a marketing scheme done by London Life at the time. But it was a good thought. And now I'm saying, why don't we go Freedom 70? What? And all of a sudden you're hearing all the radios click off as we as I'm saying this right now, changing to a different channel. But <laughs> think about it. The average age now to retire is 65.1 in in and back just only four years ago, it was 61.6. So it's gone up three and a half years in a period of four years. That's just the average retirement age. And I'm thinking, okay, people are living longer. So you got longevity risk. Less people have pensions, which is another big, and we're talking pensions, private pensions, but pensions in general. There may be matching programs, defined contribution plans. Um, but there may not be, and again, uh, you know, taking out government workers, most companies do not have any company pensions that define benefit plan anymore. In fact, most have gotten rid of them. Hmm. The Fortune 500 companies in the U.S., I know this is U.S., but they went from 55% of companies offering defined benefit plans to today is just 14%. Okay, well, and and I'm sure Canada's at least the same. So that me, yeah, that's a good point. Thanks, Mitch. And yeah, these are the stats. So this is actually in what's going on out here. So yet we still have this dream. I want to retire early. Well, if you're going to live to 85, 90, 95, our plans are usually to 95. You got to think. Okay, we've got to start working a little longer. And also, it's kind of interesting. You're talking about marriages. Uh, people getting married later. Well, they're also moving out of the house later. So uh, quite often the, the parents are helping the kids longer too, or even helping with a down payment or, or waiting later in life. So again, you add all this up, it should add up to an, a later retirement year. So one extra year working also allows you, one, you know, common sense here, one extra year of, of saving money in one less year of spending your RSP or, or your pension assets. So it's a double edge there. Once you retire, not only are you not adding money, you're actually taking money out of the pot. So yeah, so number one, wrap your head around work until 70. And again, this isn't carved in stone, but just be open-minded. Uh, number two is uh, a lot of people are having side hustles. This is very common. And you may, may quit working, but boy, does a, a part-time job in retirement make a massive difference to a person's retirement plan. Uh, Mitch and I are working on these plans all the time. And when you add in like even a 15, 20,000 a year job for I'm doing this for the next eight years. Boy, the chant, the retirement number or the percent of are, are you able to retire can go from like 95 percent, which is a fail to 110 percent is a pass. Just doing a little side gig. So big difference if you have a side hustle while you're retired. But even interesting enough. The ones that are having side hustles right now are generally between age 25 and 44. They're the ones that have the most. In fact, 28% of tax filers, H&R Block has put this stat out, are part of this gig economy, which basically is a short-term gig, meaning you're doing a little side hustle, you're doing a job. Now, this is up from 7% four years ago, four times the amount, four times the percentage. And this is... A bit of a couple things. Uh, you can look at that age group, 25 to 44, interest rates are higher. You know, their mortgages come due. Cost of living's gone up. They're hurt the most. The younger generation is hurt the most with this. You said four years ago? Yes. So, so do you think 
possibly they started this during COVID as a like a kind of fun activity and maybe it stuck around and now it's now their new side hustle that they're keeping as a, a partial income supplement to their regular job. That's a good point. Uh, absolutely. And you know, you know why you're absolutely right, Mitch. That's actually what did happen. People were saying, well, I'm stuck at home. I'm able to make a few extra bucks and or couldn't or couldn't work or couldn't work. Yeah, yeah. good point. Yeah. And so this is adding to it. And they found, you know, it's not so bad after all. Like I got an extra five hours here or an extra 10 hours a week here. And now it's 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 given them more opportunities. Now, you got to remember, though, if you are getting paid this extra money, you have to pay tax on it, of course. And your employer is not taking off the proper amount of tax because if you're making, say, 10,000 a year, there may be no income tax taken off this at all because they're just saying, OK, you have a very low income. And meanwhile, you may be making 100,000 a year your real job and it should be in a 40 percent tax bracket. So you do have to keep money aside for taxes. So you'll keep that in mind, but also it gives you that opportunity of putting money away um, you know, basically to an RSP. So it actually allows you this opportunity of saving money, which is a great option because, you know, if you spend all your, your like, you know, your normal work day, uh, just paying the bills and you got a little side gig going on, that could be your saving money. And that's, that works quite well. Um, number three is plan to plan to earn more. So it's kind of interesting. Let your boss know that you want to move up in the organization. And so, just knowing that it's it's interesting out there with things are a little bit more transparent with incomes. There's some, you know, glass door is the app that kind of you can see what people are making. And so if you constantly say, OK, I'm making more money um, and look for more money, then you, great. I'll look for a company. First of all, if you look at a manager and the managers keep getting parachuted in and you're not even nobody's getting promoted from within. Maybe you want to work for a different company. Because it's often some of the biggest pay hikes is when you leave one company and go to another company. And, you know, so it, it is important to know what other people are making and also look for yourself. So, well, if you're, a, say, an accountant and you're making 80000 a year doing what you do and you look on Glassdoor and the average is making a hundred, hey, let your boss know. Otherwise, you know, they will figure out quite quickly that you'll be looking around soon if you don't get that raise. Now, I did an exercise. Let's say you start at age 25 and you start to adding $200 a month to an RSP. At 7%, you would have $524,000. Pretty good. Okay, you never increase this. Well, let's say as your salary goes up, you increase your PAC, your pre-authorized check or your investment plan. Every five years, you increased it by 28%, which is basically a 5% raise every year. Well, if you did that all the way through, by the end of it, you're no longer adding 200 a month. You're adding uh, about 1,200 a month into your actually $1,125 a month during that last five years. And now your retirement plan, instead of being at 524,000, you've got $1.3 million invested simply by increasing the amount you're investing every month as you get raises. So huge difference. This isn't even a higher return or anything. It's simply just using your raises and looking at it an opportunity that, yes, I'm going to spend more money on different things, but I'm also going to save a bit more. Um, number four, plan around buying a home, kids, et cetera. 
Okay, life gets in the way of a perfectly good plan. Okay, so we know you're going to look at probably buying a house. And yes, kids, uh, don't work your plan in a vacuum, basically. There is things that take place. There's weddings. There's all sorts. There's trips. There's Disney, whatever it is. Okay, plan on a certain lifestyle and, and you know, daycare, whatever it is. But these things add up. But make sure you have your plan that is flexible enough to adjust. So one example, well, if you're adding so much to an RSP, take your tax savings and start adding it to the registered education savings plan. So now you're saving for, let the government pay for your kid's education, basically. So this really does work. And this is where you need to have a, a planner that is kind of weighing your options. Where's the places where you get the most bang for your buck? And we know, you know, raising kids is expenses is expensive, and maybe your savings towards retirement will, will go down and will ramp up later. But it's all part of the plan, and we can actually work that right in. Uh, number five, and this one here is uh, kind of a bit of a pet peeve for me, is join the company stock option, RSP plan, contribution plan. When, when a company is matching what you're putting in, it really adds up. And if you have a financial planner that is saying, oh, no, no, just add with me, um, they're not doing the best thing for you. Another thing on that point there is um, obviously you should be opting in and finding out exactly how much they're going to match for you. But on top of that, you should find out the investments that they offer. Because I've had people come in and they defaulted them to just sitting in cash. They didn't even get invested for all these years. And I mean, you're talking about increasing your monthly savings and getting more compound interest well these unfortunately these people didn't know that they weren't getting any interest this whole time because they just thought that they had a default investment and it was going to be invested properly for them but they didn't know that the default was actually to sit in cash so yeah. they got zero growth for all of these years so you need to if you have a financial planner uh bring this plan to your financial planner to go through the options and see which investment makes sense for your plan and if you don't have a financial planner you should get one <laughs> <laughs> without question because we're we look at this all the time and and when we're creating an investment plan for our clients we always work at the work look at the work plan to see okay this is what you're doing at work this is and quite often we're recommending okay you should go into this portfolio at work now very worst they have a thing called a day dated retirement fund and basically it's like a default. Okay, I'm going to retire in 2050. And they'll have a fund for retirement at that time. It's not necessarily the best way to go, but it's a heck of a lot better than what Mitch is discussing, which is basically cash earning a very low interest rate. So yes, look at the investment if you're going to be part of these funds. But I was looking at this. People say, well, I can't really afford to go in this program. And I'm thinking, well, it's better. I don't know how you're going to do it, but find a way to make it work. Because let's say you had $300 come off your pay and you got $150 matching. So that means you're getting $450 invested every month, okay, out of your 300. But if you're in a 43% tax bracket, it's you're actually costing you $171 because you're getting the tax deduction right off your pay. So you're, it's actually costing you $171 a month to invest $450. You can't get better than that, folks, okay? Anytime there's this matching program, you got to utilize it as best you can.
So finally, number six is having an RSP plan. Okay, now RSPs, um, it is RSP season as we speak, and we got to look at, okay, is it the best thing for you? But let's say, let's assume, first of all, it makes sense to get an RSP and you're in a high enough tax bracket right now, it's definitely justified. Well, let's say you invested 10,000 into an RSP and you had the 10,000 and you're in this 43% tax bracket, meaning you make over 106,000 in 2023, between 106 to 150,000. Well, you would get a refund of $4,300. What do you do with this refund? And this is the key point. You can, which I suspect a lot of people do, spend it. Okay. You know, increase your lifestyle. Now, obviously, a financial planner is going to say, well, you can do better than that. You could invest in other products that make sense. For example, home, a homeowner savings account, FHSA. Uh, you can invest into an, a TFSA. You can pay down debt with that. So, so there's options. And again, you got to weigh which is the best option for you. Or you could take that $4,300 and simply put it back into the RSP and get a jump on next year's. So then next year, you will end up with not only your 10,000 you put in every year, you get another 4,300. Well, that gives you now a $6,049 refund. And now you can continue that pattern to keep adding the refund into your RSP. Next thing you know, you'll be investing $20,000 a year into the RSP and really juice up that RSP contribution. It really does work. And uh, finally, you can borrow for an RSP. And the same idea applies. If you have 10,000 right now, borrow another five. And that way you'll get your contribution to 15,000. You'll have a couple of months of interest to pay, but you're going to get a $6,450 refund. Pay off the $5,000 loan and take the $1,450 and, you know, use it for March break, whatever. But at <laughs> least, you know, have a plan. So this is real financial planning when you're putting all these pieces together and so that you don't look back with regret saying, I wish I did. And you had a plan saying, wow, I'm glad I did. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, the big game and your personal finances. There's a relationship here. There's a lesson to be learned. Yeah, with the Super Bowl coming up tomorrow, um, there's lots going on and there's a lot of money flowing. That's for sure. The average commercial for tomorrow's game for a 30 second commercial is seven million dollars for a company for 30 seconds on air. wow wow and uh there's also estimated about 23 billion dollars going to be gambled on the super bowl just in the u.s by the american gaming association so there's definitely some money flowing tomorrow and uh one interesting prop bet that i know lots of our swifties may 
like is that if Taylor Swift is going to get engaged on the field after the game. Um, oh, please. <laughs> she she is involved in, I want to say, at least double digit, at least 10 uh, Super Bowl prop bets that people and people in Canada can bet on and on uh, certain sites. Um, so it is pretty funny the impact that she's had on the Super Bowl already. And uh, I, I, I know lots of people are hoping she makes it there for the game tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, now that we've seen the end of the football season, uh, there are actually lots of parallels between finance and football. So the red zone is one stage in football where the offense has the ball inside the 20-yard line on the opponent's side. And the winning team usually performs really well here. This is within the 20 yards of a touchdown. And there's a lot riding on this because if you perform well here, you usually come out winning the game because you're scoring some points. So there is a financial red zone that stretches from about 5 to 10 years before uh, retirement and as well as five to 10 years after retirement. And this is when paying attention to details like saving more, budgeting properly and avoiding mistakes is it's critical to successful retirement. These years are crucial because there's there's less time for error and less time to correct mistakes. So you don't want to take too much risk and you want to be protecting the assets that you've worked so hard to accumulate and investing new money potentially more conservatively not taking as many big risks because as you get closer to retirement, this red zone should be uh, when you're likely seeing your financial advisor more, uh, at least more than you were for the 20 years prior that I hope that you're working with one. Uh, and you're probably going to start considering things like when you should take CPP, when you should take OAS. Are you eligible for the old age tax credit, the pension credit? Uh, what income are you going to need to cover your retirement lifestyle? How are you going to create that retirement paycheck? So there's lots of factors that come into this red zone. And if you perform here well, your retirement is also going to be successful. So the next one here is actually the hurry up offense. And we see a situation in personal finance when people feel like they're behind in savings. Um, the ones that have postponed or didn't necessarily save younger. And they don't think they have enough money for retirement and they're willing to take more risks than they really should be. And this is a dangerous reaction. It can mean gambling with money that is meant to last a lifetime. And pre-retirees suffer from this more than retirees um, because they get close to that. They get into that red zone and they think they have to pursue aggressive growth and they're willing to accept those risks that come with it. And this can be extremely detrimental to your actual financial plan because it's usually those uh, aggressive behaviors and it typically comes from the fear of missing out, which I know we, everyone calls FOMO. And this can give you the serious emotional urge to take those risks because you need to have a certain retirement lifestyle that maybe you don't necessarily need, um, but you feel you do. And you see lots of other people doing the same thing. So I, I know there's the jumping off the bridge situation and if you would or wouldn't, but. Um. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned about football. Like if the game's right at the end, then they'll do something called a Hail Mary pass. <laughs> and that is a desperate move. They just throw down one 50 yards down the field. Then everybody runs under it, hoping that the right team catches the ball and they win the game or what have you. Your retirement plan should not be like that. You don't have a Hail Mary investment at the end. Plus, our end game isn't as, as strong. The game's over. It's over. Our retirement goes a long time. So, yeah, don't put a Hail Mary pass in your retirement plan. Yeah, you definitely don't want to have to rely on your retirement on a 50 
yard long bomb for hopefully a touchdown or a penalty. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Uh, hopefully the victory formation, hopefully you've saved enough comfortably and you may not need to grow your money anymore and take the market risk associated with the growth strategy. Uh, you only have one shot at retirement. So why, why take more risk than you have to? Uh, you've worked your entire life for this situation and with inflation and interest rates constantly in the news and possibly losing some purchasing power right now, you may feel the urge to take more risk to beat inflation. But when you're looking at a long-term plan, you, you don't have to take that much risk. Uh, you may not have to get that seven or eight or even uh, try to get that rate of return. You may only need five. So talking to your financial planner and making sure that you're getting in an allocation that's properly diversified and not lopsided to make sure that you're not taking too much risk is something that you should be looking at doing to create that victory formation. And the last thing that's important that typically comes with most Super Bowl winners is they have a good coach. They make a difference and they can make or break a team or franchise. Uh, we've seen it firsthand in the NFL. Um, good coaches win. I know Andy Reid is a great coach for Kansas City and he's been winning a lot lately. And when you have a good financial planner, they're going to be your life coach and they're going to help you get through all of your financial planning difficulties, as well as all your successes. And they're going to keep your eyes on all of your goals that you're trying to achieve. So making sure you have a good financial planner is going to help immensely with your retirement success. When I retire, I'm going to grab one of those great big coolers of ice water, Gatorade <laughs> things, and I'm going to dump it over both of your heads right there on the show. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Sounds we good. Make sure your computer's not near it. That's right. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. We're going to take a quick break here and back for the final segment moments from now. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. We're going to talk about power of attorney for our last segment. Yes, and it's uh, one of those necessary projects that every Canadian should look after. And this has come to the forefront recently when Jay Leno and his wife Mavis Leno are, have been recently in the news because Jay is asking for conservatorship over his wife due to her dementia. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. And so basically he is going to the courts to ask for this conservator conservatorship. And we don't actually have this in Canada. We have what we call as a guardianship. And so we would go to the courts and apply for guardianship. And basically the same idea, you, the courts will hopefully grant you as a decision maker for all of your spouse's affairs, uh, financial affairs. So, you know, at the end of the day, it looks like Jay did not have, unfortunately, a power of attorney done. And now after she, um, and unfortunately, Mavis cannot grant this to Jay because she doesn't have the mental capacity at this stage to do that. So, you know, and you look in Canada, I said, well, you know what, I'm going to get mine done sometime. Well, 71% of Canadians do not have a power of attorney. 
71. So practically three quarters of Canadians do not. Now, we always talk about wills, how 61% of Canadians don't have a will. Um, and, and funny enough, 74% of, of Canadians age 55 and older say they have a will, which is all okay, better, a lot better, because mainly the younger people don't have wills. But it's interesting, only 34% of, uh, first of all, 34% of those age 35 to 54 have a will, and 30% of those 18 to 34 have a will. But 12% of those, even the older people that have will saying, yeah, I got a will, don't worry. 12% say it's out of date. Hmm. And so even though you might say 74% have a will, well, now you're really down to 62% have a will. And so, again, not great odds. And so we're looking at the same idea, power of attorney. First of all, a power of attorney grants you um, access and, and and basically your your signature is you are now the signature for, in this case, your spouse. So instead of your spouse signing, because she is incapable in, in, in terms of, uh, for example, Jay Leno's situation, you Jay now can sign on her behalf for all financial affairs. And this would be selling a house, for example. Let's say it's joint property and Jay wants to downsize his house. Well, he can't sign. He can't downsize his house because his wife has to sign also. Well, once he has his power of attorney, he can so it's not great to have to go to the courts and, and in, in this case, apply for guardianship. So basically, you have to go there and apply. Now, the courts are going to look at whoever is applying, and they may not grant you based on certain circumstances that, yeah, we're not going to give you that. In fact, we're just going to give somebody else the guardianship and which allows somebody else to make these decisions. You know what? I, I always hate to leave my important things to do with anything to the government. And what, what else can be more important than your will or power of attorney and letting the government have a say on how things are going to be split, divided, who has decision making? Now, in Canada, we have two types of power of attorneys. We have a power of attorney, a general power of attorney, which allows you to look after assets. But there's also a power of attorney for personal care. And this is, um, you know, allows you to look after the medical portion of the power of attorney. So, yes, two sides of the power of attorney. As a Canadian, you need to get both of those done. And different people. You know, you may have, for example, your daughter as a general power of attorney and your son as the uh, power of attorney for personal care or, or vice versa. Or you may have... Uh, different ones. If you have five kids, you may have different kids doing, depending on the personality of the child. If one is a little bit more, say, studious in, in financials, you may have that as a general power of attorney. But then you may have, say, well, you know, he, may, he or she may be good at that, but really, I don't want that person looking after me physically, you know, from a, from, and making decisions about my health. And you have a different child to look after that. So important to get the right ones done. And again, I would not want to leave this to the government. So the idea here is, is to just get things in order. Now, if you, same as in a different way, if you don't have a will, you die intestate. And that means somebody's died without a will. And in same idea, the government has a will for you. So if you find yourself uh, as part of that population that does not have a will, don't worry. The government's going to take care of you. But you just may not like the will. 
So if, for example, if you have one child and, and uh, here you're, and you got a business and the business is worth a million dollars. Well, and you don't have a will done. Well, the first $350,000 goes to your spouse. And the other is split 50-50 between your child and your spouse. And that may not be what you're doing, what you would like to have happen. And I've even seen in worst cases, a second marriage where an estranged daughter that they haven't seen for a long time will end up getting a a lion's share of the estate because they haven't done a will. Because the government would say, well, she's your daughter and therefore she gets X amount percent. So same idea. It's all about checks in a box. And this here to me, it's still early in 2024. So let's uh, let's uh, maybe get that New Year's resolution done. Get your wills, get your power of attorneys done. And don't end up being like Jay Leno and having to go to the courts to decide how things will pan out. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Thank you, gentlemen. Another fabulous show. We'll chat again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.